0: Hello and welcome to PubCasts, an ongoing project to experiment with science communication and making research more accessible and digestible to both scientific and general audiences. PubCasts are annotated and abridged audiobook-style recordings of peer-reviewed scientific research, read to you by the authors. I'm your host today, Hannah Harrison. PubCasts are inspired by a passion for podcasts, demystifying science, and the power of the human voice. Our goal is to give you, the listener, a new way to connect with research, and just as importantly, the researchers. This recording will focus on trying to communicate a published research article in an engaging and convenient way, and I will sometimes stop to explain a concept, give a short anecdote about the research experience, or emphasize a main point. Our hope is that this format will give researchers and academics a new way to engage with the literature, and for the non-academics out there, a way to hear about new science in a more interesting and digestible way. To keep things straightforward, you won't hear the in-text citations, long acronyms, or other details that make wading through a paper challenging. But, like all peer-reviewed research, this work stands on the shoulders of researchers who came before, so we strongly encourage you to visit the paper online and see the full reference list. Today's paper is titled, How Academic Podcasting Can Change Academia and Its Relationship with Society, A Conversation and Guide. This paper was authored by Michael Cox. Hannah L. Harrison, Stefan Pardalo, Steven Curtis, Stephen Elser, Courtney Hammond-Wagner, Robert Hobbins, Connor Barnes, Lisa Campbell, Laura Capilati, Emily D'Souza, Julie Fowler, Erin Larson, Franz Libertson, Raffaella Lobo, Philip A. Loring, Marissa Matzler, Andrew Mary, Eric Moody, Ruby Quinones, Jason Sauer, Catherine Schaub, Sterle Hogg-Simonson, Susan Washko, and Benjamin Whitaker. This paper was published by Frontiers in Communication in the specialty section Science and Environmental Communication in April of 2023. You can read the full text and see the affiliations and other details of the authors at the journal's website. Part one, Introduction. Community identity and community building activities are central to academia's functionality. They shape learning and knowledge production goals, structure academic administration and funding, and facilitate institutional development that can support continued research and learning. Academic communities organize researchers, lecturers, students, administrators, everyone who's working toward common values and activities. They thus play important roles in shaping the types of interactions, impact, and outreach that science has within and beyond them. Such communities further interface with funding agencies, government practitioners, civil society groups, and they shape how, what, and why knowledge is produced and further how it's used in society. Each academic community exists as a network of individuals and groups engaging in collaborations with each other and sometimes competing with each other as well. In their 2020 paper, Freeth and Canigula outlined five dimensions of collaborative groups based on the concept of epistemic living space, or social structures and values that guide action. These authors highlight five dimensions that impact the actions taken and outcomes achieved by a collaborative group. They highlight epistemic, social, symbolic, spatial, and temporal dimensions. Assumptions about what is worth knowing and how knowledge could or should be produced is an essential feature of academia and fits into that first dimension of epistemic relationship formation and ways of being together in our communities interacting both physically or emotionally influences the types of collaborations that emerge and of course thus the outputs that they produce that fits into the second dimension of social values norms and expectations create the symbolic organizations of groups establishing power and position individuals that's the third dimension symbolic spaces both physical and conceptual enable and constrain collective efforts, and they shape our sense of belonging in a community. That's the fourth dimension, spatial. And lastly, time constraints and temporal regimes structure our community organizations. That's the fifth, temporal. As essential as academic communities are, they also face challenges that prevent them from reaching their full potential, such as burnout, depression, anxiety, and imposter syndrome a lack of diversity and inclusion and high barriers to entry, and narrow criteria for professional advancement that can really crowd out extracurricular activities. And we, we put that in quotes here. And that can include things like interdisciplinary work, outreach and science communication, etc. cetera. An underlying challenge is that academia is a composite. It's made up of thousands of self-organized communities that mostly rely on voluntary contributions, often from very overburdened scientists with few incentives to spend time on service. That means things like peer-reviewing articles or committee work. Establishing the values that we want and fostering cultures of change is really quite unlikely to occur without heroic individual efforts or sustained contributions from well organized groups of front runners. Again, in quotes. Community change is additionally challenged by institutional lock in to past incentives, organizing principles, institutions, and outputs, as these shifts that we're talking about really require substantial and time consuming investments into addressing systemic issues. Traditional community building activities remain standard practice for personal and professional academic advancement, with very few new options or pathways for alternative kinds of engagement. These include conference attendance, peer-reviewed journal and book publishing, networking meetings, amongst others. But those activities have limitations. They are maintained by high prestige gatekeepers restricted or limited in who can participate and are often spatially or temporally fixed events and have historically lacked inclusion and diversity across career stages and geographies beyond europe and north america and amongst historically marginalized groups given these challenges new approaches for developing academic communities are really needed in this context we argue that academic podcasting can contribute positively to academic community development and extend engagements between academia and other partners to fulfill the goals of more truly transdisciplinary science hopefully it does this in ways that bypass the institutional lock-in experienced by the traditional formats i've already mentioned podcasts are audio media sometimes with video accompaniment and they feature verbal communications in a variety of formats and styles. Interestingly, they're often also produced with very little administrative oversight and they perform very few barriers to entry. Podcasting has become an emerging medium within science where a diversity of producers and formats can now participate. Recent work in the field of critical podcast studies has shown that podcasting can be both a scholarly research tool and a method of dissemination that doesn't require a written text to establish rigor. Some formats can offer researchers an opportunity to learn something new about their research subjects and engage with them in novel ways, while others focus on pedagogy and student learning. Podcast studies are examining what it means to have a voice and to be heard, particularly with respect to openness, equality, and diversity, and in overcoming obstacles to creating, learning, and listening. In this article, we draw on our own collective experiences as academic podcasters, as well as the growing literature on this topic to talk about how academic podcasting can impact each of the five dimensions that I mentioned earlier. And in so doing, we really hope to redefine what it means to be an academic community. Following that, we also provide a guide for future academic podcasters to use in developing their own projects. Section two, academic podcasting and community change. In this section we're going to revisit those five dimensions that I mentioned in the introduction and we'll start with the epistemic. Academic communities have epistemic positions or the norms and values about what counts and what matters. Epistemologies place value on the topics and activities of importance and there are assumptions in those values about how knowledge should be produced and what constitutes valuable knowledge. Academic podcasting represents a novel knowledge production method in several ways. First, it's a medium for knowledge production and sharing that is often less formal than traditional outlets. It also allows participants to leverage skills and backgrounds that are often undervalued in traditional academic settings, like spontaneity, creativity, or maybe a background in theater and sound production. Second, academic podcasting can complement existing practices by offering a mechanism to broaden impacts and promote outreach as a part of research projects. Third, podcasting is a highly portable medium that can be used in teaching or public engagement. Many students actually find podcasts to be more accessible than traditional journal articles that were often written without teaching or engagement in mind but are nevertheless assigned because that's what we're familiar with and those are the accepted academic outputs. That said, there are challenges as well. One primary challenge that podcasting faces in shifting our epistemologies is that the formal training that academics receive through their PhD programs or other training opportunities emphasize a pretty narrow range of outputs. Academics internalize those goals and see them reflected in their formal incentive structures as well. Podcasting might be dismissed then as being extracurricular or something that one does only after you check those usual boxes for career advancement. Next we'll look at the social dimension. Academic podcasting can offer new ways for researchers to have meaningful social interactions. As an interpersonal verbal medium, podcasts help to satisfy a basic human need for connection and sense of community. In doing so, they also offer a method for strengthening our social networks, which is inherently and instrumentally valuable. Podcasting can also strengthen emotional and empathetic engagement with scientific topics through an emphasis on narrative, which can be absent in technical scientific writing. That said, there are challenges here as well. One of those challenges lies partly in how verbal mediums are produced. For podcast guests and hosts, the fact that exchanges and thoughts are being recorded can crowd out some of the benefits of informal exchange. For hosts of a show, for instance, this can be addressed by continuing practice and getting over our activation energy of anxiety and uncertainty that we can often feel when the mic goes on. Although this may be less available to guests of shows who may feel additional pressure to perform as soon as the microphone is activated. Next, we'll look at the symbolic dimension. Academic podcasting has the potential to upend some problematic aspects of traditional scholarly publishing and dissemination. The barriers to entry for all participants of a podcast, that's guests, hosts, and even the audience, are lower than they are for other types of media. Most podcasts are open access, offering free content to anyone who has access to the internet. This is a major contrast with the increasingly problematic for-profit academic publishing model that relies on free academic labor and for open access publishing, charges sometimes very prohibitively expensive publishing fees. As a new space, academic podcasting does not have as much of an issue with cultural and prestige-based biases that can otherwise crowd out more marginalized voices in our academic communities. Rather, academic podcasting has the potential, actually, to feature a more diverse range of voices, including those who might not be featured in traditional mediums due to their early career status, lack of notoriety in a field, or perhaps lack of an academic title. While these are potential advantages, podcasting is not immune to existing biases, of course. For example, a podcast in English may discriminate against a potential guest who speaks English as a second language if they are not deemed, say, articulate enough for English-speaking audiences. Similarly, podcast hosts are gatekeepers to their productions and can certainly influence the content and who might contribute to that content. Furthermore, some might be concerned that a lack of peer review may lower the standard of content that is produced. Finally, the open access model of scholarly podcasting means that there is usually little to no funding to support the production of content. This lack of funding makes it pretty difficult to maintain a commitment to podcasting as it competes with more traditionally valued activities in scholarship. Next, we'll look at the spatial dimension. Podcasting has enormous potential to foster community development within academic circles. This results from multiple dimensions that we've discussed here, the social connections that are formed, the increased accessibility of the medium, and the more continuous nature of production. Part of this concerns the dimension of space itself. We can engage with audio in places that we cannot with other media, and can be more easily integrated into our daily routines, such as maybe listening to a podcast while commuting. Perhaps most importantly, podcasting has no spatial barriers and is only limited by internet access, allowing scholars to connect across the planet. As such, communities linked by podcasts have the potential to develop beyond where they just share workspaces, to include those with whom we share our ideas, our inspirations, and our values. However, challenges remain. One such challenge that podcasting faces in that community development is how to make that connection genuine and not be stuck or replicate the asymmetries that typify most communication with little or no give and take. The nature of guest-based podcasting formats does help with this somewhat, but it's not a perfect fix. There is still a performer-audience dynamic to that medium. One solution to this, however, might be to have listeners share questions or topic suggestions that they would like to hear discussed by the podcast hosts. Finally, we'll talk about the temporal dimension. Podcasting offers more regular, informal access and engagement than traditional outlets. Many podcasts, for instance, publish episodes as often as once a week. This allows for more continuity of engagement, which is important for building and maintaining a sense of community. This can also provide a benefit to podcasters who see their outputs put out more regularly, maintaining their motivation to continue creating content. Most podcasts last between 20 and 40 minutes, and so can be consumed in less time than it would take to understand the intricacies of many academic articles. Listeners can also choose to download episodes and listen to them at their leisure. But a primary challenge related to time is simply how long it can take to build up a podcast project and gather an audience. This issue can be helped if the podcast builds on existing networks, but to some extent, the point is for podcasting to be branching out beyond those traditional structures. Additionally, post production, or the editing phase of making a podcast, is very time-consuming, especially in cases where the episodes require more structure, so for example the review of a topic or a narrative-based podcast versus an interview. With all of that in mind, we want to provide a practical guide for potential scholarly podcasters, which is what, where we come to here in Section 3. In this section, we build on examples from several academic podcasting networks to a try and enhance podcasting capacity in academia. We do that by offering this guide to new or potential scholarly podcasters. In the printed version of this paper, you can find this guide in table two, and we lead the reader through several key decision points that from our own collective experiences, we believe are critical to conceiving, developing and implementing your own podcast. While we present these ideas linearly, we suggest that readers interested in starting their own project begin with whatever element makes the most sense to you. So first, let's go to section 3.1, motivations. Prior to undertaking a podcasting project, scholars should interrogate their reasons for choosing a podcast as a scholarly output or research tool. A lack of reflection about your motivations can lead to podcast projects being started because it's fashionable or maybe it seems fun, maybe it even checks a box, but then you may find later it's a lot more work than you thought or you're not really sure why you're investing the time in it. In terms of reach, podcasting has important benefits for scholars, podcast collaborators, the broader research community, and for engagement between academics and other actors. If podcasting is intended as a research method versus as a strategy to support grant applications as a research output, those motivations are likely to lead the podcast maker in different directions in terms of how the podcast is organized, aligned with their research project, and distributed. Podcasting can also serve as a networking and professional development tool. Developing a research-related platform to engage a wide network of professionals and develop our own presentation skills may be a strong motivation, particularly for a research team with early career researchers. Podcasts offer hosts and guests an opportunity to co-produce dynamic connections between ideas and novel intellectual paths explored through the podcast format. Podcasts can also offer guests a platform to highlight their own experiences, and if they're academics, to share their research. In some cases, new insights can emerge during podcasting exchanges that can lead or contribute to new academic work. This can also occur in formats without guests, such as among hosts getting together to discuss a topic or a paper. Now, of course, podcasters may also be motivated by intrinsic benefits. For example, podcasting may serve as a creative outlet free of the normal concerns that restrict behavior and outputs in traditional academic communities. In a similar way, podcasting might offer an opportunity to humanize participants by supporting community development and social capital that are harder to generate in traditional media and informal interactions, like say a conference talk. In the same way, the verbal medium of podcasting is live and therefore it can seem less packaged into the prescribed steps of content that we're used to or is, and it becomes less exclusive of the expression of personality. This gives potential podcasters the opportunity to bring more of themselves into their work which may fulfill a reflexive desire or need to be a person and a person engaged in research podcasts can also be used to diversify the voices that are heard in and from academia both in the identities of hosts and of guests for researchers working with marginalized or underrepresented communities or for whom they themselves are part of such communities A podcast might be an appropriate medium to serve motivations around equity, inclusion, diversity, and accessibility. On a broader overarching level, podcasts benefit from being open access, which can enhance scientific literacy by removing accessibility barriers to science. And it can often make science less esoteric and more digestible and humanized. As science communication and knowledge mobilization grow, as priorities for scholars and funding agencies alike the opportunities presented by podcasting to meet those knowledge sharing needs may be an excellent motivator for for potential scholarly podcasters. So our main takeaway here, scholars should interrogate and define their motivations and they should think about the audience that that is being served by those motivations as maybe a first step in planning a scholarly podcast. The next thing to consider is the format. Within podcasting, formats can vary widely. Scholars should ask themselves, how do I want my podcast to sound? Or what format best fits my motivations? Podcast formats can include interview based, discussions amongst co hosts and guests, like a talk show, news or science reporting, or thematic storytelling or narrative approaches. As most podcasts produce a series, multiple series, or have regular episodes along with supporting materials, such as maybe a website or social media. Scholars should carefully consider the time investment that they are able to make into their podcast project. Different format styles will require different amounts of editing time, time spent recruiting guests, or even time spent coordinating hosts. For example, an interview with a single guest may require little editing, while a storytelling style may require multiple interviews, voiceovers, and music to be recorded and edited together. On the other hand, podcast formats and styles are not restricted in length or content as compared to other academic mediums, like a journal article. Therefore, scholarly podcasters may find the medium freeing and the time investment comparable to the benefits derived from more traditional publications. The key takeaway here, scholars should choose their podcast format carefully, giving thought to the amount of creative freedom they wish to exercise and the reasonable time investment they can make. Next, let's talk about relationships and support. Academic podcasting projects need to carefully consider the relationships that they have with their audience, institution, and potential funders. In identifying the intended recipient of such benefits, scholars should ask themselves, who is my audience? In a similar way, potential podcasters should also think about the scholarly or other niche that they wish to fill. They might ask, what space does my podcast fill within academia and between academia and other spaces? deciding the niche can guide podcasters on how to write their podcast or help them decide how they will frame key ideas as well as connect to their desired audiences there is also of course the omnipresent question of funding which we encourage potential podcasters to consider early in their podcast development compared to standard scientific research podcasting can be done pretty inexpensively although equipment hosting and time factors should be considered We suggest that podcasters consider several possible sources of funding and other needed support, such as space or distribution capacity. Small podcasts, particularly those that fill a particular scholarly niche, will likely struggle to find financial support from listeners, and crowdsourcing funds is another demand on a scholar's time. To address these challenges, podcasters should look to other options, such as institutional affiliations, where they are more likely to find in-kind support, like technical assistance, although maybe not financial assistance. Institutions may also be able to offer the opportunity to promote a podcast through their own channels, such as, say, a newsletter or emails to members or students. This is actually a pretty important contribution to podcasting efforts, and scholars should consider it, particularly if they are not previously in the habit of self-promoting their own work. Relatedly, new podcasters should consider joining podcast networks to seek support and camaraderie with other scholarly podcast producers, as well as to benefit from finding support in established distribution networks. The key takeaways here, podcasters should consider the niche that their podcast will fill. They should consider the audience that they're speaking to, and they should carefully inventory the time and resources that they have available or that they can seek out to support their efforts. This brings us to Section 4 of our article, Outlook. We believe that it is important for academic podcasting to continue to grow and establish itself. With this growth, there are several questions, including how formal or informal should this process become? One possible path forward is for institutions of higher education to create their own podcasts more from the top down rather than through grassroots efforts. Formalization may also mean that podcasts become more accepted as an academic output. This may enable more recognition, such as funding or capacity, and support, like career advancement opportunities, but likely involves a trade-off as we gain consistency and transparent rigor, but then might lose creativity and diversity to meet those chosen metrics and standards. As podcasting develops, it will be important for participants to maintain a sense of intrinsic motivation, which is fostered by not overly worrying about these formal metrics, but rather being present for each other and for guests, and, and incrementally building a sense of shared purpose and efficacy. One of the main takeaways from our authorship team, and from even writing this paper, is that podcasts can serve multiple benefits. Some of these relate to the fact that it's a spoken conversational medium and thereby represents the single most natural way for people to engage with each each other, which has really obvious benefits for community development. No other medium can fully replicate that function. Beyond that inherent benefit, we have also suggested that there are multiple ways in which podcasts can be used to promote community goals, some of which may not be obvious to future academic podcasters, including the use of podcasting as a research method and an instructional tool in the classroom. We believe that for academics, podcasting can thus serve as a bridge between multiple aspects of valid and meaningful work, and help to meet what is perhaps the greatest challenge that we all face in developing new approaches and investing in our communities, which is the scarcity of our own time and attention. While academic podcasting cannot fully address this, representing as it does an additional request for time and attention. It does so in a way that still represents a refreshing departure from the norm, or at least it does for the teams on this paper. We need to remember that by participating in academic podcasting, we are engaging with a unique platform that presents an opportunity to confront the persistent barriers to broader social goals within academia and effect positive change between academia and society. This episode was a reading of how academic podcasting can change academia and its relationship with society, a conversation and guide. This paper was led by Michael Cox and has a long list of co-authors, all of whom are podcasters themselves. I encourage you to check out their names and affiliations at the top of this episode or in the journal article. You can find those details in the show notes of this episode. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about pubcasts or how we make pubcasts, you can visit their co-creators at the Coastal Roots Project website. That's www.coastalroots.org. That's www.coastalroutes.org. Thanks for listening.